2: Thank you for loving and setting me free. I love that. But you know, the issue is that most Christians don't know what it means, setting me free. They think it means that he just lifted their sins off of them and gave them a passport into heaven above. And does that really help you here? I mean, are you feeling the freedom of Christ in this life? Because that was what he intended. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it, what? Abundantly, right? Well, that's freedom. That's liberty. It's not liberty in the flesh. It's not about liberty in the flesh. He made you a new creation, a spiritual person. Who you are in the flesh is irrelevant at this point. Who you are in the spirit is who God sees. You are a spiritual person, a new creation. And that is where your freedom lies. You're now free to run and embrace Him. You're now free to accept all that He has given you in Christ Jesus. You're now free to live life without the fear of man or the fear of pestilence or the fear of the things that might come against you in this life. Because they can only take the life of the body. They can't take the life of the new creation. So you have been made to experience, to know, to walk in the abundance that Christ gave you. That is all that he's trying to do in this life. And we're going to talk about that, that bit by bit, moment by moment, if you will, he is seeking to strip off the encumbrances that are keeping you from fully embracing all the freedom that he has given you. And isn't that a blessing? Because we don't have the tenacity to get it done. We don't have the willpower to get it done. We're too distracted with what's going on around us with this body and the identity of this body to get it done. But he has determined to get it done. And you know what? Every day he's given you a choice. As a Christian, every day you have a choice. To either walk in the abundance of who he created you to be. Or walk and strive in the futility of the flesh. To reflect upon the freedoms and the blessings that you have in Christ. Or to reflect upon the the weaknesses and the inconsistencies and the incompetence of the flesh. You choose what you want to embrace. You choose what you want to call your identity. You put it on. You wear it. And you try to make something of it. About man, he's got such an ego that he thinks he can take this wicked, desperate flesh and somehow turn it into something that God wants. Well, I got news for you it's going to end up in the grave where it belongs, okay? And God is going to make it something new that is more suited to what He made you to be, who you are. Well, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. This portion of Hebrews has been described in many ways by theologians, but I think it's best described as an exhortation to the body of Christ or the church, and not just specifically to the little Hebrew fellowship that it's addressed to, okay? And, you know, it's like in, in this whole little section here, he's saying, okay, You know the truth. You have heard the truth. I have explained the truth with clarity. The Spirit of God has made the truth abundantly clear. Now walk in it. Now own it. Now live it. James 2.24 says, You see that a man, believer, is justified by works and not by faith alone. That is, by acts of obedience, a born-again believer reveals his faith. Now, that doesn't mean that if you are not being obedient at any given time that you've suddenly lost your, your salvation. What that means is in order for you as a believer to experience all that God has given you, you need to walk in obedience because the flesh will tell you, oh, you don't want that. But the Spirit will tell you, it suits you. The flesh will tell you, you can't do that. But the Spirit will tell you, I've empowered you to live that way. So in order for faith, Father, I believe you. I believe you to have life in me, to put life in me, to be life to me, to walk with me, to commune with me. I believe, Father, you to be the ministry to the people about me. I believe, Father, that you can strengthen me in faith and cause me, Lord, to be all that you've created me to be on this planet. I believe you. I believe you to love an enemy. I believe you to be my provision, protection. You name it. And then you don't sit down on the sofa and wait for it to happen. You get out there in the confidence of faith and you go forward in it. And you love that enemy. And you count on his provision and his security and his protection. And you manifest his life. And you, you, the flesh and the enemy may be saying, well, that's just a very poor imitation. No, it's not. And quit judging the work of God. It's not a poor imitation. It's exactly the life of Christ in you, uniquely expressed by you. You're not going to express it like me. You weren't supposed to. If you could do that, he wouldn't need me. <laughs> right? Every one of us had been shaped uniquely, to express Christ uniquely. Get out there and do it. So I think that's what that's about. The Spirit of God through the pen of the authors is exhorting these Hebrews to exercise their faith, to bring their faith to completion by living it out. And as I've often said, Christianity is not passive. It's a fight. It's a struggle. We are to live as conquerors, not as refugees who live in fear. Now, the exercise of faith will not keep you from fight, but it will move you to stand in the midst of a fight. As we trust in the love and sovereignty of God, we will know his faithfulness. We are affirmed as the sheep of his pastor. Now, in light of that, I'm going to read for you again Psalm 23. If you uh, need to look it up, it's in the Psalms. Okay. Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. You only have one, right? The one shepherd. The Lord, there's a declaration of truth and faith. When you say the Lord is my shepherd, well, I don't know what to... The Lord is my shepherd. Well, I don't know where to... The Lord is my shepherd. Well, I don't know what life... of The Lord is my shepherd. And the accuser comes at you and he will throw all kinds of things in your face. And the only thing you need to respond with is the Lord is my shepherd. So you can shut up and go on. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now that's a declaration because the enemy is constantly trying to get you to want something. He's got that bait always before you. He'll tell you you need it. You have to have it. And therefore you want it. And it might be it might be a good thing. Let's say you're you're down in the body. You're sick. You want health. I shall not want what? What? You know what that means? That means I have to trust God with my body. Thy will be done. You know what I want? I want what he wants for me. That's what I want. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know you don't know when to lie down. I've been told that before. You don't know when to lie down. You don't know when to rest. How many of you have worn yourself to a frazzle and then God just sweeps your legs out from under you and says, you're going you're to stay right here. You're going to rest. Well, you know why? Because you're a sheep and sheep are just too dumb to know when to lay down. That's the reality of it. Well, guess what? I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to get enough rest. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside the quiet waters. You know why he has to lead me there? Because I don't know where the quiet waters are. And I interpret quiet waters differently than he does oftentimes. But he leads me to the very thing that I need. He restores my soul. My wife was just talking about what happens to the soul out there in the world. And you've heard me often say that we need balance in the soul. We need to ask God for balance in the soul. You know how often you need your soul restored? Every moment, particularly after you listen to the news, you need your soul restored. He is the restoration of your soul. He is the truth. And so I can sit there and I can worry over what might happen to me, what might happen to my loved ones, what the world's going to come to, who's going to get elected, whether or not we're all going to die with something. I can worry about all those things. But guess what? I'm not God. So I can't resolve a single thing. You know what I have to do? I have to yield it all and say, Father, you're going to have to restore the soul because I've made a huge mess in there. I've got clutter from here to who to thought, and I need somebody to come in and just clean that whole mess out. And God says, I'll do it. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know why? Because you're his. And because you're his, he wants you to know what it is to be righteous. So he's going to take you by the hand because you wouldn't go there otherwise. And guide you in the path of righteousness. That path is not just a side road or an off ramp. That path is literally the path that God preordained for you before the foundations of the world. And you're not on it by yourself. Isn't that good to know? Because if you were, it'd be like traveling in Houston. You don't know where you'll end up. For his name's sake, because I belong to him. Now, here's the key point right here. Number four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say if I walk through the valley of shadow of death. It doesn't say if I might. Or if the enemy drags me in there. It says, even though I walk, now that's a determined path. You know what it's saying, present tense? You're walking in the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it's saying. I fear no evil. That's not about your emotions. Your emotions can go all over the place, right? No, it's declaring the truth. There is no evil that I have need to fear. There is no reason I should need to fear any evil. I'm shaky. My emotions are crazy. I'm having all kinds of things being whispered in my ear. But I fear no evil. Present tense. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The protection, the discipline of the Lord is with you. You can know... When you get out of hand, he's going to take care of you. And you can know that when you stray off the walkway, he's going to take care of you. And you can know that if the enemy gets too close, he's going to take care of you. They comfort you. It's supposed to be a comfort. I love verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Oh! Where can you expect a banquet? What's he saying there? Where can you expect to be fed? When you're going through the most difficult situation, when you're going through a situation that provokes all kinds of fears and insecurities in you, when things are coming against you, when things are threatening you, when life becomes harsh and hard, guess what you can expect? A banquet. Not just, a, you know, one of these delivery things. But Jesus himself is preparing a place for you. A meal for you. Now, I love this. He is preparing. This is God here, okay? He is preparing this for you. How's Where's he doing it? Right in front of the enemy. Right in front of the enemy. You know what they're seeing? They're seeing... What's up with this guy? What's up with him? God's sustain He's being sustained in this situation. He has joy in this situation. He has peace in this situation. He has comfort in this situation. What is up? What is he on? A testimony of your relationship with God. And you know what? Even if they refuse to see it, you see it. He'll allow you to see it. He'll allow you to know it. Listen, everything that I know about God, some of the deepest things I've ever discovered about my Savior, I discovered in the midst of some of my toughest times. Usually the visions I've had of Jesus is after I got up off the floor and looked up. I mean, that's the truth of it. We all think that the banquet should just be at church. No, the banquet is out there in the presence of your enemies. And you know what? If you're in the body and in the world you're in the presence of the enemies, but not only that, you have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. you know what oil represents in the in the Bible the spirit he has covered you with his spirit he has marked you with his spirit. now, what does that mean to you? Well, number one that you have the spirit of God within you and you have the spirit of God without and you're walking into this to this dark world, into the presence of your enemies, and the anointing of the Spirit of God is interpreting the presence of God, giving you a sense of His life and His protection and His comfort, and letting the enemies know they can come so far but not any further. You are the aroma of Christ. That oil that is on you reflects the presence of Christ, the person of Christ. And that oil that is on you has prepared you to be the very ministry of Christ wherever you are. No matter how dark. No matter how black. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're not going anywhere. (laughs) You live as a new creation in his presence. His goodness is not just a temporary fix. He doesn't give you goodness when everything's going right. When you're behaving correctly, you'd get precious little. At least I would. He gives you goodness in the presence of his son. He gives you goodness in his life within you. He gives you goodness. You have the goodness of the Lord. No matter how alone you may think you are, the goodness of the Lord attends you. You dwell in his house, the house of the Lord forever. You know why you dwell there? Because you're at home. That's right. You have a room at your house. Why? Because wherever the Lord is, you're there. Now, as you think about verse 4 and 5, It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, why didn't the shepherd just lead his sheep around that? Well, because you would have missed the feast. (laughs) You would have missed the picnic. There There is an abundance of nurture there. There is an abundance of his life and spirit there. And we are to know it in that adversity. So as we finish up the book of Hebrews, you're going to hear exhortation the exhortation of the Spirit to the church that says to rise up and walk in the confidence of his presence, in the confidence of his life, in the, in the language of the psalm I just read, in the confidence of the fact that he is your shepherd. In the Hebrew church there were believers and there were those who had accepted the teaching and the fellowship of believers but had not accepted the Savior. The Jewish people were very much about community, so they would readily attach themselves to a group that seemed like a like-minded fellowship and be a part of it. So as we have seen, the author has repeatedly warned against apostasy, which is when someone who has willfully walked away from the truth after having received the revelation of their need and an understanding of Christ as Savior. Unfortunately, Many of these had begun to abandon the church. And when you think about that, the church was beginning to experience persecution, and they're seeing people just kind of disappear. They're leaving, they're gone. Where are they at? People that had worshiped with them, people who had been a part of their fellowship, they're no longer around. What has happened? Well, they had returned to Judaism because of the persecution. Rather than trust Jesus, they put their trust in the protection of aligning themselves with the world, and you see that over and over again. Now, this community of believing Hebrews had started to experience rejection by their friends and family. They were, were rejected because of their faith and were experiencing hardships and trials. On top of that, the people in their fellowship that they had been so close to had begun to abandon them and return to Judaism. So it would be difficult for the people who had a nominal faith, a people who had not really been living by faith, but principally by sight, to maintain a focus on Jesus, to set their fears aside and to trust Jesus. They had tied themselves to the moorings of this world, the stability of their community, the comfort of their routine and tradition. And now all these things were being uprooted. They were wavering as fear tightened its grip on them. So I'm going to go back and read for you Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And I want you to remember that uh, the author has put this in the metaphor of a race. And the race is the Christian life. That's what it is. And he says, in Hebrews 12, 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight of sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us, looking away from all that would distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive of our belief, and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured... From sinners, such bitter hostility against himself, consider it all in comparison with your trial, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now again, these verses, as well as our text, is set in that metaphor of the race, with Jesus as both our example and our prize. Now, he is the focus of the Christian life. He is the perfecter of our faith. The one who brings us to the fullness of faith through an ongoing work called living the Christian life. Weariness comes upon us through unbelief and is traded for strength in the practice of a consideration and meditation upon him. This is not contemplating the historical Jesus, but the ever-present Savior who is life. Our text for today is Hebrews chapter 12 verses 12 through 17. I'll get to that in a second. Now, he says, therefore, at the very beginning of chapter 12, and he says, we have this gray cloud of witnesses, and he points back to the founding fathers of Judaism and these guys, and he points to their faith. Now, here's the issue with this particular group of scriptures, the race metaphor in general, is that many Christians have read that and they, they immediately look to themselves and say, okay, how am I running this race? Am I enduring? Am I persevering? Am I doing all of the things that I need to do? Am I disciplined enough? Am I what this? Or am I that? Well, it starts with the premise that therefore... Because we have all of these witnesses who endured how? By faith. So is the author saying, look at all these guys that made it up there by faith. So this is what you have to do. You have to try hard. You have to push hard. You have to endure. And you have to make sure that you live the way God wants you to live. Does that make any sense at all? Well then... What we have to consider is that everything that he exhorts from this point forward is to be done by faith. You can't do it otherwise. And we have to consider that this is a spiritual journey. The race is talking about the Christian life. Is that something we do in the flesh?
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.